This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. And welcome to Talking Flutes. And I'm here with John Paul Wright in Hove, and we're answering more of your questions. And must say, thank you so much for sending me the questions in. Please keep sending them because it's 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 really fun talking about them, don't you think, John Paul? No, I'm just listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> as as a, a former professor at the prestigious Royal Academy of Music and a, a wonderful player and teacher yourself, I just I I, I nod back to you and. Again, from the last podcast when we talk, you were talking about ghost notes, I just thought, yeah. And I went home and practised them, and uh, I learned something every, every day. So, yes, thank you for all the questions. Shall we carry on, then? Yep. It seems that the Alice Smith-Jones that, that sent in question two last week also sent in a third question that I should have probably asked. Yeah, which is? Right. What does my flute teacher mean when she says, open my throat? Now, to me, when I read that, I thought, well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, no, not really, because it's very difficult to, to feel that you're moving the muscles in your throat. Basically, what your teacher's saying is to keep your throat relaxed. Ah. I think that's what it is. And to release the tension, because if we've talked before about tension, tension stops you playing well. Um, to feel like you're opening your throat if you if you pretend to yawn your throat opens so it sort of opens up the back of your mouth so that helps release any tension that's there and, and of course tension appears so easily the other thing to work on in terms of opening your throat is singing which we talked about in the last podcast as well singing is natural so sing first then play and open your lungs up and really sing sing your heart out mm-hmm. if you're embarrassed then do it on when there's no one else in the house but really sing have a lovely melody and just sing it and you'll feel you're you do it naturally so you don't have the tension and your throat is let's say open but it's basically it's relaxed also you need to check your breathing check that your tummy muscles are pushing the air out which also helps keep the throat relaxed if you don't use your tummy muscles your throat seizes up so relaxation is the key to a good sound. I often hear flute players sing in a note first, or going ah, and putting their flute to their mouth and playing the relevant note on the flute and keep the voice going. Mm-hmm. Is that a way of making sure that the throat is open because you can't do both at the I same time? I suppose it, it, it can be. There's sometimes a problem with singing and playing, which might happen if you put your flute up then which makes you close up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Although singing and playing is another good exercise for various things. But I think here, you might, if, if their throat is tense, mm-hmm. then it might be better to just separate the singing from the actual playing. Yeah, and you make a very fair point about singing because if you're a natural singer, whether it's in the... There's this old thing that people sing in the shower. I've, actually, I've never heard anyone sing in the shower. No. My kids never sang in the shower. I don't th- my wife never has. I never have. <laughs> I'll probably sing in the car if I'm, you know, there's something on. And, mm. and I sing quite loud, probably shouty, shouty. 
But it's true, because if your throat is tight, you don't actually sing, do you? No. Because it becomes very sort of like this. Yeah. So it's not a case of thinking, I must relax my throat. It's a case of open your mouth and go, ah, you know, really uh, engage your embouchure muscles, open your mouth and sing out. And that's the key to, uh, we're going to deviate off, as always, projection, isn't it? Because you can't project unless you have control of that. Yes. It's all linked. Everything we do on the flute, flute is all linked. You can link vet so many problems back to something basic. How you stand, how you breathe in, how you blow out, how you form an embouchure, what direction the air is going in, all these things. So you have a student coming to you and they're, they're playing and that there's something's happening with their playing. It's not necessarily the first thing that you would say, oh, that's the reason that that's being caused, because there could be sub-issues. Sort yes. of further down that are causing the next issue, causing the next That's issue. Right. So the commonest, the commonest thing I was used to come across, where where a student would come and say, "I really can't articulate. I'm doing double tonguing," and you you get them to play, and they they're going, "There's no there's no sound," and we say, mm-hmm. "Well, it's quite simple. You're not blowing. <laughs> You're concentrating so hard on going, you forget to actually blow the air through, because the more your tongue moves, the more air you need." So it's, yes, you can, that's a very obvious thing, but you, you can always mm-hmm. sort of look back. So if you're sort of alone practising and you've got, you feel there are problems within your playing, try and sort of strip it back and see, okay, let's go back to basics now. Am I standing well? Um, am I breathing well? Am I blowing well? Have I done this slow enough? Have I practiced, it, if there was something with intervals, if I pl- practiced flexibility exercises, if it's high register, if I practiced my high register notes, have I warmed up properly? Mm-hmm. So warming up, well, it's a whole other subject, John Paul. Yeah, <laughs> that is another podcast in itself. Yeah. <laughs> warming so, up, yeah. Warming up. I mean, if, you, if you're a 100 metre runner, you don't go and warm up by running the 100 metres. You do st- very gentle stretching exercises and maybe gentle jogging before you do any running. Mm-hmm. So with flute playing, it's really exactly the same. You need to do something very gentle, maybe whistle tones, or play a lovely low register tune mm-hmm. to get the feel for the acoustic, get the feel for how you're sounding on that any particular day, because of course every day is different. And you gradually start to warm your muscles up, especially if it's very cold or very hot. You know, you need to get... Uh, get accustomed to to what's sort of around you, uh, the acoustic and the temperature, and, and how you're feeling. You know, you've had a bad night, or you've had a good night. It's early in the morning, late at night. There's so many variables that affect how you practice. So you need to find out what suits you, what doesn't suit you. And sing in the shower, sing in the car. That's, I, yes, I wish I'd sung a lot more when I was younger. I was, I was quite embarrassed about singing. I think I've mentioned before about a, um, a course I did with Jimmy Galway many, many years ago. And there were only... It was at the Wigmore Hall, and it was televised. And there were only, uh, I think, seven of us, one for each day or two people for each day. I can't quite remember now. And one student got up to play, and Jimmy said, put your flute down and... Sing me this phrase. And she said, no. He said, no, it's okay. Just sing. And he sang, and she wouldn't do it. 
And then he said, well, I I'm sorry, I can't help you. Mm. And she was just sort of so embarrassed about her singing voice. And I, I sort of feel that, you know, some years before then, I was sort of in a similar place because nobody was saying to me, sing. It's only now. I mean, we're so lucky now that um, there seems to be so much more knowledge about teaching the flute, how to play the flute, various techniques. And one of the first things is sing. Mm. No one told me that, and it didn't occur to me because I, I hated choir, so I didn't really want to sing. I wanted to play my flute. I didn't want to sing. I wanted to play. It never occurred to me to use my singing voice to help uh, phrase something or help hear the pitch or release tension. never occurred to me when I was a student anyway, not when I was, before I went to college. So many different sub-issues that could be leading on to another issue, certainly with with what your teacher is saying, Alice. I remember a long time ago, because we've done so many of these podcasts, <laughs> you were saying that a student on one of your courses was playing and something wasn't quite right, and you just got them to change their posture and everything opened up, just by posture changing. Yeah. You didn't address the throat or anything, you just no. got them to change their posture. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes in teaching, distraction helps a problem. So if, if someone is is really struggling with uh, something technical. Let's say moving their fingers fast. You could say, well, let's not worry so much about the fingers at the moment. Mm. I'm more worried about the fact that you're moving a lot. Can you just play it again and try and keep still? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they play really well. It's, it's got nothing to do. They weren't really moving at all, but you're trying to distract them. Yeah. So sometimes you can think about something so hard that you stop yourself doing it. That's classical musician talk in a talk, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Thinking of something so hard. Yeah. Are they still done doing the building works across yes. the road? There's a, if you're not English, you wouldn't understand, or British, you wouldn't understand the, the game of cricket, which is a sport that can last as long as five days and there often isn't a winner. It's a draw. <laughs> and there's a, a really beautiful cricket ground, probably only 60, 70 metres away, that they're renovating, aren't they? Yes, the Sussex County Ground. Yes. And um, they are building... Uh, a block of flats with pub, restaurant, mm -hmm. they're redoing the whole of the front of the, of the cricket ground. It's been going on for two years. Wow. And it's noisy. But it's not quite as noisy now as it was a year ago. No, I remember coming down and um, it was having to do a lot of in the post-production to try and just lessen yeah, the, the drilling. But it shows there's life going on around us. Oh, it does. We're it... not stuck in some studio somewhere. Oh, no, no. Couldn't do that. <laughs> right, let's move on to the next one. And it's from a Sally Nugent. My daughter wants to play the flute. Well, it's really great that she actually found talking flutes then, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, if you haven't got any... Well, we don't, she might be a flute player herself, so excuse that. What is the difference between a flute from Amazon than a flute from a music store? Good grief. Mm. Or a flute from eBay or a flute from a music store. I suppose oh. there, are, there are various things here, aren't there? Um, I'll say a little bit, but you're the main man for this. Um, if I was going to invest in an expensive musical instrument, I would go to a specialist who knows about it. So I would go to a, f a specialist flute shop. And there are people there that know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about, and they can guide you. Whereas there's nobody on Amazon that can guide you. 
There isn't. And obviously, if you go on online into the socials, there's lots in America. And you make that very fair point. If you're investing however much money in an instrument for one of your children, you're doing it because you want them to learn. And the when you go in blind into a music store, you need to have someone that can guide you with knowledge and experience rather than that someone that is just trying to sell you something. Because let's face it, a flute isn't cheap, is it? No. And, uh, and I, I remember uh, a student, uh, again, many years ago, and she'd gone to a music shop, but it was a non-specialist music mm-hmm. shop, and they basically only had one flute on the shelf, <laughs> and they were persuading her to buy that, so she brought it along to the next lesson, and it was, it was awful. And I said, no... What, what else did you try? Oh, nothing. They said this one would do. So it's, you need to get specialist help, either through your teacher um, or through going to a specialist shop or talking to the specialist shops. Mm-hmm. You know, give them a ring, ask them. You know, they need to know what your budget is and what level of, of the, the player. So for, obviously for, for a beginner, what, what are the best instruments for beginner flute? And, but take advice. Take advice from teachers and from the, the the people who run the specialist shops, who are generally all flute players. Yes, they are generally all flute players. From my angle, as the managing director of a flute company, I think we're talking here student. We're not talking upper end. No. Where personal preference and personal how you feel about an instrument comes into play. So we're talking about taking a base product that you or your child or your guardian of somebody that is going to learn on. So there's two distinct areas. There is the established brands. So this is a global, they're global brands that are in the student flute market around the world in most countries. Or there's what we call OEM models, where there's a brand name, there's a, a flute from a factory, probably in the Far East, China, that makes instruments or makes flutes and puts a different brand name on. And there's quite a few, if you go online, there you'll see lots of really sort of interesting names of flutes, student flutes, that you've probably never, ever heard about. And that is what we call an OEM, which is an own-badged and it could be a music store, an established music store that has found a source that has realised that a lot of their customers don't have the budget, so, but they wouldn't want their customers to go on eBay or Amazon to buy a cheap product. But only really, from my perspective, entertain these products if you're looking at them at a specialist flute shop or specialist music store that has a flute player speaking to you. Because if you go into a general store and you find a brand that you've never heard of, then the chances are that it hasn't been, you know, it's been bought for a reason to sell quickly. So if we're looking at established names around the world in student flute brands, one that you'll find in most, most countries, well, obviously Yamaha. I mean, I grew up in the Yamaha 211 and that seems to be the staple flute, first flute from in most countries around the world. Obviously, we've got the the Trevor James or the TJ models. We have a 5X and a 10X, and that's available in most countries around the world. You have Pearl. You have Jupiter in that student arena. 
I'm going to miss some out here. Can you add any? Oh, there's obviously in America. There's in America. There's Gemeinhart, but you don't see Gemeinhart over here. Not much. Um, or in in Europe. Can you think of any others? No, that I think you've you've basically covered it. And and obviously they're all priced differently. My only recent experience is the TJ 10X because I recorded all the kickstart mm. flute duets on a 10X, and it was it was fabulous, easy to blow, got great sound on it. It was a, a great flute, and, and I think any beginner will do really well. Um, and all the, all these models you mentioned, they're all good flutes. And it's, so I say, take advice. And what we there. mean by good flutes is it's quite straightforward for the student. You want a flute that every pad is going to seat. So in other words, there's no leaks, because if you pick up a student flute and you take it to your teacher and you're struggling to get any notes your teacher will go straight to the problem and it could be a leaky pad. You should not have that on a brand new flute. The flute should be padded well. You have an, should have an encouraging head joint which enables you to get a sound. And once you get a sound, you've got motivation to find other sounds. And a lot of the cheap flutes are not necessarily padded very well. There'll be a lot of, there'll be some, what's that a lot, but in some flutes there are a lot, side wave movement of keys. So I'll if say you say that the key work yeah. is... is is often very dodgy. Yeah, so take the, for example, the G key is the, normally if you're be playing offset G anyway, would be the key, the two keys that are offset from the main body. Put your fingers in front of one of those keys and just see if you can move it sideways. If you can't move it sideways, it means it's been strung, it's been put together well. But if other keys move, then you've just got to think, oh, there's movement here. So there is going to be subsequent issues down the road. And also, if you're looking at second-hand flutes, again, you can buy second-hand flutes yes. from the specialist shops. You can buy good ones, much good cheaper. Good ones, yeah. much cheaper. But they will generally will have be, had a full overhaul, repadded, so they're fully functioning, fully working. And the problem is if you buy something off eBay or Amazon or any other sort of second-hand site, then chances are that you're going to have to pay a lot extra to have it overhauled and repadded and checked and you might not get a good instrument when you're finished yeah and i'd like to have a shout out here to all the stores around the world that spend their resources in their local community but also servicing musicians online it's not an easy career a job business to run because especially during the last few years music hasn't necessarily learning music and upgrading and spending money on flutes and certainly as we're going into this really weird world you know we're coming out of covid and we're in a, a world where you know there's conflict going on in ukraine and also the cost of living in many countries well most countries in the world now is going sky high inflation is really high people are being very wary of the pound in their pocket so let's try and support all the music stores and the effort they put in because if you buy an instrument on amazon uh, for your daughter she may she may like the pink a pink colour, so you, you go and buy a pink flute. When you try and take that to the music store and you say, I need some help because my teacher says this isn't playing, that store hasn't provided that flute. So really then you're going to have an added expense. They may say, actually, this is going to cost more than it's actually worth, hmm. or they're going to charge you quite a lot of money to put it right. If you buy an instrument from an established flute specialist, you've got, if there's anything that goes wrong, they will fix it. But more importantly than that is you know that if that doesn't work for you as your, as your son or your daughter or yourself, if you're returning to study, 
that they'll have other good student brands for you to try. So my, my own perspective is buy the student flute only if, if it's available in other countries. So you know that there is a, there's a history with this brand. So it's not just a, a, an OEM, an own label model that's available in your local area. And you know, trust your flute specialist. Yeah. And when you came, what is the best one? I'm not going to tell you what the best one is because there isn't oh, the best one. There are lots of good ones and they all do different have different strengths if you like yeah and the other thing you can do of course is rent so yeah. you can rent for six months and see if your daughter takes to it and and and, and loves it in which case then you can invest yeah but ultimately you're investing you you have a budget but take guidance from the teacher who will have her preference or his preferences and go to the store with your teacher's preferences because the store may recommend this one product, but it's your teacher that will be teaching you. <laughs> and she, they will have experience of certain models. Yeah. And they will have their preferences and there'll be reasons why those preferences. And, and we'll talk about this in another podcast, which is musical preferences and, and flute preferences because that's a, a big complex issue. And if you find something that's very cheap online, it's cheap for a reason. <laughs> that's the same in everything, Claire, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, got to be very careful. Well, I, you know, I think we've covered that, Sally, and I think most importantly, as Claire said, contact a specialist flute dealer, one that knows about flutes, and you can trust them. I think we've finished now, have we, Claire? Yep, I think we have. I hope that's, that's some good information for, for, for the, the listeners. And uh, it's, been, it's been a joy, John Paul. Thank you very much. It's always a joy. All right, so many thanks and talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, everybody. Don't forget to like and rate this podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Talking Flutes on Facebook and Talking Flutes on Instagram. And you can contact Claire with any ideas of guests or future questions on Claire Flute on Instagram, Claire Flute on Twitter, and at Flute, which is me, on Twitter. And, of course, the, our designated Facebook page, Talking Flutes, is maybe the easiest Isn't it just? for people to contact us. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Bye for now. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.